Hey there, Misfits. I'm <laughs> Maybe we start that over. I was gonna say hey Misfits and then all of a sudden you said hey Misfits and I was like it just came out as laughter. Okay, we'll do it again. Okay, are you doing it or am I doing it? You can do it. Let's okay. do it together. You Let's ready? do it together. Okay. One, yeah. two, three. Hey, hey there. <laughs> Just cut to the music. <laughs> I am Kale. And we're a mess. Wow. Welcome to Horrorwood. Wow. What an intro. It's your episode today. Um, if it's anything like that intro, well, we're going to have a good time. Oh, it's going to be a thrill ride from start to finish. I, I believe so. And also, this is a two-parter. Ooh. And the reason that I chose this person in particular was not because... I knew what show he was on or because I knew his name, but because my nickname is Bob. <laughs> and at one point in my life, cranes were very significant to me. And so when I saw the name Bob Crane, I was like, well, clearly that's who I should do next. Bob Crane. There is a lot out there about Bob Crane. I I'm really excited because I don't, I mean, I know very little. I know what show he was on and I know two steps ahead of me, some of the stuff he was into, mm -hmm. but really I don't know any details or anything. So I'm excited. There is a lot of content that I had no idea that there would be like you could spend hours and well, I did spend hours and hours and hours on this. You're diving deep. I love it. I really was. Let's get into it. Let's get into this. The star of Hogan's Heroes. Have you ever watched an episode of Hogan's Heroes? I think it used to be on Nick at Night. I could be ah, wrong. Okay, okay. Um, I do feel like I saw, like as a little kid, I feel like I was watching reruns of it. Okay. But I, I mean, I don't remember anything of it. Like another popular series that came out after this was MASH. Have you ever seen a MASH episode? Are you being facetious? Yeah, I've seen like, I think I've seen all of MASH. Well, I wasn't being facetious, actually. <laughs> um, Wait, have you, have you never seen MASH? Okay, well, I know the theme song. Oh, my God. And I also know that it played syndicated like at night really late. But yeah. I have to say I have I don't think I've ever seen an episode that I recall. I just know the theme song. And I think, you know, it was late at night and either like my parents were turning off the television or I turned the channel. Yeah, I because I think the finale aired before I was born, actually. But um, I, my dad loved that show. And so we, I, I, I definitely remember watching it. I think it came on around 11 or 1130, like right after the news at night. It's safe to say neither of us have much knowledge on Bob Crane, who played Colonel Hogan. Truth. Well-rounded, talented, ambitious, humorous, handsome, likable, tenacious, motivated, determined, intelligent, amusing, entertaining, a barrel of laughs are just a few adjectives that could be used to describe Bob Crane. Sounds like a great guy. Sounds like someone I want to drink a beer with. Unrecognizable, ghastly, oh. distressing, 
spine-chilling, shocking, horrendous, gruesome, unspeakable, untimely, unnecessary, and unsolvable are words that could be used to recount the very murder of Robert Edward Crane on June 29th, 1978. Oh, that took a turn. It did indeed. Born July 23rd, 1928 to Roe and Alfred Crane, Bob grew up in Stamford, Connecticut with his older brother who would later fight in the Navy during World War II. A very worse, worrisome time. Whoa. <laughs> These R's. Whoa. Whoa. Oh, that's, um, was that Joey from Blossom? Mm-hmm. Oh, that was a, that was a good one. <laughs> Thank you. A worrisome time for the Crane family. Bob's brother, Al, survived two kamikaze planes that crashed into his ship. Oh, man. It was stated that when the family finally received word that Al was alive, quote, it was like Christmas and all were relieved. I know. Can you imagine like just living in that time and Uh, experiencing that and having like a sibling or any kind of family member or a friend or or anyone? Even in this time, like just I've never been in that situation. I can't even fathom like what people go through, but that's got to be harrowing. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, back then there wasn't the technology that we have now. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're waiting for, you know, like a telegram or a letter or a possibly a phone call, right. To give you word that description. It honestly, it did give me chills when I, when I read that, um, that it was like, you know, that it was like Christmas. And I just, I kind of like, I had to like, you know, sit with that for a minute. But anyway, that was that was Bob's brother, and and he survived. And um, I think later in life, it kind of helped Bob significantly in a way um, because he did end up playing a character from a war. Mm-hmm. One thing that Bob was able to do to get his mind off things regarding the war is to play drums. I used to. I mean, my secret ideal profession is to be a, a drummer in a rock band. A drummer is great, and then when you say a rock band, I just love that. Wait, is that not the expression? Is that not what they're called? No, it is the expression, <laughs> and I can so envision that for you. Like it's it's incredible. Thank like, you. I honestly can. I could just see you rocking with the sticks, right? Yes. Also, the thing about Bob is the thing about Bob is <laughs> the thing about Bob. Maybe that's what we'll call this episode. Oh, I do have. Well, I have an episode name for it. Oh, good. Do you want to know it now? No, tell me later. Okay, I'll tell you later. All right. Okay. The thing about him is that, you know, I've I've looked I've looked at pictures of him, right? Like as an adult, as like a high school student. In his son's book, he has uh, there's a picture of him as a little kid and he's so adorable. Mm-hmm. He grew up to be a, a really handsome man. So think about this. Yeah. Like the drummer, you know, like handsome. Um, was What kind of drummer was he? I think that's the question on everyone's mind. Okay. He was part of his high school's orchestra, marching band, jazz band, and later played for symphony orchestras. Oh, so he like walked and did one of those big drums. Yes. And um, other other drums. I mean, he, he, he was a talented um, percussionist. Okay. He graduated his high school in Stanford in 1946, and I either heard from a podcast episode or read that Bob, he was inspired by a drummer from the famous World's Fair held in Queens, New York in 1939. 
which so began the first day of television broadcasting in New York and the first televised presidential address in the U.S. So like, oh, interesting, which I thought was really cool to to tie in um, because we will be talking a lot about television in this episode. So anyway, I don't know. I love I love a good drummer. (laughs) And and if you I mean, you'll see pictures of Bob, but like he's just just a handsome fella and he's got like a really nice smile. Like it's a very kind smile. There were over 200 people who were interviewed about Bob posthumously. Oh, God, words. Posthumously? I knew I was going to do that. I knew I was going to do that. It's okay. It's okay. Posthumously. There are three women who collaborated on a book about Bob named Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography. These aren't the people who were um, interviewed, but they were the people who interviewed these 200 people. Oh, okay. And they also have a podcast based on the book called Flipside. The True Story of Bob Crane, both found on Audible. Okay. Um, the three women are Carol M. Ford, Dee Young, and Linda Groundwater, and they come from New Jersey, Connecticut, and Australia. Their content was very helpful. I learned so much about Bob. Um, they're Seriously, I think they're some of his hugest fans. The stuff that they know about him, like I couldn't even figure out like how they got all of this information, but they really, um, they really knew their, their Bob. Okay. And what year did you say he died? Or did you, get, or did you say that yet? He died in 1978. 78, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was born a month later in July. You just missed him. I did. But yeah, these three women, they've devoted time, energy, investigative efforts, all into Bob's characterization. Like I said, they interviewed so many people, not just the 200 people that like knew him. They've really, really worked hard um, to get the best depiction of him. Okay, cool. So the podcast itself is around 12 episodes, and the book is narrated by Jeff Rame. And it's a bit more than 20 hours total of airtime. I recommend the book as I thoroughly enjoyed Jeff Rame's voice because it reminded me of the beloved Casey Kasem, the American Top 40 notable and distinguishable vocals of my teenage radio years. (laughs) And the countdown to the number one, if he was announcing the number one and it so happened to be your favorite song, like for me, I would gasp. I'd be like, it's, it's my favorite song. It's number one, you know. We had different dreams. Yeah. Well, you know, we grew up in different places. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay. So more about Bob. Let's talk about his life. Let's. Because in 1949, he married Anne Terzian, I believe is how you say it. Okay. And it was his high school sweetheart. Oh. Together, they had three children, Robert, Deborah, and Karen. Oh. Anne and Bob later divorced after 20 years of marriage. And then that same year in 1970, when Bob and Anne, Bob and Anne had separated a year before. So they separated in 1969. In 1970, when, you know, the divorce was official and whatnot, Bob married Patricia, known as Patty Olson, or her stage name, Sigrid Validus. Was his thing with Patty happening? Is that why he was divorced? We are so getting into that. Oh, okay. Sounds a little scandalous. Is Sigrid. uh, That was her stage name. Okay. Uh, Patty Olson's stage name. She was a fellow actress. They had a son together too, who, well, let's oh. just say Robert must have been a popular name at the time because he shared his father and half brother's namesake of Robert as well. Oh, that's weird. Okay. His, his middle name is Scott. So he would be Robert Scott Crane and they nicknamed him Scotty. Oh, okay. So they're calling him something different, but it is yes. weird that like you name your firstborn with your first wife, Robert, after you, and then you name your firstborn with your second wife after right. you? Yep. And and the first son was, they called him Bobby. Okay. So Bobby and Scotty. Yeah. Um, but when Bob number one, so the original Bob, 
Robert Greene. Wait, uh, the senior Bob? <laughs> senior Bob, yes. Okay. When he was asked why he named both of his sons Robert, he basically said, I just really like the name. I mean, yeah, naming it after you twice. You, you've got to really like the name, right? Yeah. I found it interesting that Bob and Patty separated just eight years after his separation with his first wife as well. They separated in 78? Basically, yeah, because they got married in 70 and they separated in 78. But um, it's possible that they reconciled before his death um, because before Patty and Bob parted ways, they adopted their teenage housekeeper, um, Anna Marie, which seemed to be kind of a common actor practice in the 60s and 70s. I've never heard of that. I think people who were able to afford a housekeeper most of the time, the housekeepers um, were young, very, very young, usually like teenagers, um, generally coming from Mexico. Okay. And so it was very like this common kind of actor, I guess, practice of people adopting them when they would come to live with them. He ended up having five kids. It sounds like he was a really like a good dad and that he really loved his kids. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. Following his 1949 marriage, he started working and began his broadcasting career at WLEA radio station in New York. That would be the start of his long running career from disc jockey to radio personality to actor. I didn't realize he was a DJ before that. Oh, just wait, because he kind of paved the way for a few things. Like, we'll get to oh, that. But, okay. Um, all the while, through all of that, being a DJ and having his, like, radio career and being an actor, all the while, he was still playing those darling drums. Yeah, he was. Could likely never be seen without drumsticks. I love that. Oh. Like, I, I'm like, put some drumsticks in the pants with whatever <laughs> other stick you have. Stop. Stop. Oh, oh my god. Oh boy. Um okay. but Bob was he was re- <laughs> Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. I've collected myself. I have too. Bob was really a pioneer in the radio entertainment industry. He was brilliant. In fact, oh. he transformed it. So oh. back in the day, radio broadcasters only really introduced songs and sometimes interviewed, whereas the engineers of a radio station pretty much did most everything else and basically would approve what would go on the air. Okay. Now, I didn't, obviously, I did not know this. I think the thing about Bob Crane is like he got his start into the, the radio industry and it was so different back then because, you know, the broadcasters really, they were told what to do basically. Um and yeah, I guess I never really realized that. Yeah. And the engineers would – now they're way more behind the scenes, the engineers. But like back in the day, they would they would have to improve everything. Okay. But what happened was Bob Crane broke away from that as he started to regularly push back on what would go on air. Oh. And even started paving the way to reciting his own advertisements for brands. Oh, okay. Hosting a slew of different personalities to match with the brand of what he was aiming to have audience members buy into. Like, it was really cool. I listened to some – Ironically, I listened to um, one that I think it was like Salem or Winston, some kind of like cigarette company that he did that I listened to that was on either the podcast or the, I think it was on the podcast that I listened to. Like he was really good. Like it was so convincing. And I mean, of course, you know, it definitely sounded um, like almost like pixelated, what pixelated would be for radio, right? Because it was older. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what word you'd use for that, but. It was um, like grainy or. Grainy. Yeah. Kind of grainy, okay. but like. It, but it was really good. I was like, wow, this is good. And like he basically started that. Oh, wow. He, he started. And and it's funny because, you know, like 
I'm hoping at some point we get to do some advertisements and I think I'm going to have a blast doing them. Like I, <laughs> I so, I was getting so inspired. I just, I just was really excited to learn about this. So yeah, yeah I didn't know all that about him. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't, I don't know anything about him really. Right. So it's all kind of new. It was just a different take on what radio was in the day. Mm-hmm. Now we hear DJs advertising often as well as curating their own song selection, having way more freedom than they once did. But but Bob really took off on that. So we can say thank so you, Bob. So way to go, Bob. Yeah. Good job, Bob. All right. After working in New York, Bob worked back in Connecticut at two different radio stations, WBIS and WICC, until his huge radio break in 1956 for KNX Los Angeles. On that station, he interviewed none other than our Shiro and debut episode tribute, Miss Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Uh, There he also interviewed Ronald Reagan, Dick Clark, Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore, Jerry Lee Lewis, and thousands of celebrities more. Wow. And so this, he wasn't an actor yet, right? No, no, not an actor yet. Okay. He even turned down a role of being host to The Tonight Show. Do you know who it went to? Johnny Carson. Mr. Johnny Carson. Johnny. Yep. Why did he turn it down? Due to wanting to get his hands into acting. Okay. KNX, this is a quote. KNX dubbed him radio's man of a thousand voices as a nod to his impersonator voices. Cool. He was truly gifted in that regard. And 20 Things You Didn't Know About Hogan's Heroes star Bob Crane We learned that Bob got his acting start in 1959 in a community theater production of Tunnel of Love. He performed in theater throughout much of his life, even during the height of his career on Hogan's Heroes. Oh, good. He also received a rave critical reviews for nearly every one of his theater productions. And he was in the middle of a theater production, um, Beginner's Luck, in Arizona upon his uh, time of his passing. The show was called Beginner's Luck? Uh, Yeah. And he died? Eek. Uh, Bob did book a guest appearance on The Tonight Show, but it was uh, Carl Reiner, another a- American actor, that would truly lead Bob to acting. So oh, okay. he got the guest a- appearance, but he was led to acting by Carl Reiner. Um, Bob persuaded Carl Reiner. Carl Reiner, right? Reiner. As in like Rob Reiner's dad? Yes, like Reiner. Carl Reiner? Yes. Oh, okay. Reiner. Um, Amazing. It's yeah. You know what? Sometimes I don't even like, I don't know why I don't realize this or don't think about this but how connected all of those stars are yep one of the cases i'm working on right now it just i was like oh yeah i didn't even realize that like all those people knew each other it's wild they did and i forgot to say that when um i was talking about when he got to interview marilyn monroe i did get to hear a small clipping of that clipping? Mm-hmm. is that the same thing like a newspaper do i say clipping clip i think I don't the know. clip yeah okay and her voice, like, it's just so iconic, right? But he, yeah, he, it's incredible how all these things kind of tie into each other. Uh, so anyway, Bob persuaded Reiner to book him for a spot on the Dick Van Dyke show. There, Bob showed off his talents, which led him straight into the Donna Reed show, where wow. she offered him an appearance for her show, which proved to be a successful move as he landed a recurring role of Dr. David Kelsey, a character that Bob Crane helped develop into the storyline of the show. And this was like what his second acting job? Pretty much. Yeah. Oh my god. I mean, besides okay. all the the theater, but like this is how it really got him him into television. Okay, talented guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and just like savvy, I would say, and he had some intelligence and maybe some, you know, some some drive, right? Yeah, for um, sure. Sounds like it. Yeah. So 
he even won the role of Dr. Kelsey over Regis Philbin. Oh, wow. Who was the other contender to be Dr. Kelsey. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. Right? I, You know, because I only know Regis Philbin, honestly, from... Um, Live. Live with Regis and Kathy Lee and Regis and Kelly. Um, I I guess I didn't realize like he had the hand in acting. I probably assumed that, but like didn't know anything he was on. And I just knew him as that kind of like morning talk show host. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really interesting when that name came and I'm like, well, there's only one Regis Philbin, right? Yeah. He continued working full-time broadcasting on the radio show, uh, the radio station KNX. And he was also then inspired to take acting class by Stella Adler at the Stella Adler Studio of Acting, which exists to this day still in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I've even had acquaintances who have actively been a part of that studio. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure like you know people as well. But um, I just, you know, it's still, it still exists today. Like I think that's mm-hmm. fascinating. At one point, Bob started wondering when his radio acting, husbanding, fathering job began and ended because they are all kind of like merging together. Okay. Um, they started blurring together because he was doing so much work. He would begin work at 5.30 a.m. and then not leave one of the studios until after 9 p.m. And Oof. this information I got from um, the definitive biography that I mentioned of the three women that uh-huh. wrote it. They were basically, they were, they were saying like he just was constantly doing something. Yeah, um, sounds like it. So this pattern was really getting the best of him. And he eventually okay. quit his broadcasting at KNX abruptly, like just quit. Oh. Um, but even like one of the superiors there was um, who, who was at the station just totally understood why and supported Bob in his acting. He was like, I get it, dude. Like you're, you're running dry, right? Like your cup's going to be running over. Like you, you have so much going on. Mm-hmm. Something's got to give. Yep. Yeah. Um, but But that didn't mean that he like – left radio altogether. It just meant that he couldn't do all those things at once anymore. It'll take its toll. Bob left the Donna Reed show in 1964, stating boredom with the character. Oh, the character he created? Yes. I thought that was really fascinating. I was like, huh. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's what he that's what he said. He said, boredom is leading me to leave the show. So what I'm thinking, I'm I'm thinking this. And and I I think it's kind of out there. I think he um insinuated this is like, I'm guessing it was partially due to the fact that Dr. Kelsey was not a lead character. Right. He was like oh, the okay. neighbor. Um, and I think, you know, this was a way to, for Bob to get into the acting, but he wanted more. Yeah. He felt like he wasn't going to grow in right. that. Okay. Exactly. And the thing, and the thing about that is television is very hard. I heard that so many times and all, through all the researching I was doing, was talking about television. Like sometimes, you know, people get led to the same role over and over again, or sometimes people have a certain role and it just carries them through the rest of their life and people can't get over that. Yeah. When I was doing all this research and I was listening to like all these people like interview him and I was thinking about like, this is what probably what it was like for him because he does, this is mentioned later. I'll talk Mm, about it a little bit later in the episode, but yeah, it was said that Bob just had his own ideas of what he was looking for in a role, especially in a leading role. Um, you know, like I said, he, or like you said, really, like it was more of a growth factor. And also it's like he had a drive, a motivation, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So that is what eventually guided him to the popular slapstick, satirical, tongue-in-cheek sitcom, Hogan's Heroes. Okay. 
And what's interesting about this, I'm going to give you a little tidbit that this came straight from Wikipedia. Because like I said, before this, I I didn't know anything really about Hogan's Heroes. But I want to Mm -hmm. tell a little bit about just this little snippet. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about about Bob within this role. Okay. So in 1965, Crane was offered the starring role in a television sitcom set in a World War II prisoner of world prisoner of war ours are just so hard (laughs) prisoner of war camp hogan's heroes which involved uh, the sabotage and espionage missions of allied soldiers led by hogan from under the noses of the oblivious germans guarding them the show was a hit finishing in the top 10 in its first year the series lasted for six seasons and crane was nominated for an emmy award in 1966 and 1967 oh okay so the thing about this show is and the thing about bob really is that that's a running theme i think in this episode Mm -hmm. but is that you know so he had a brother that we remember Al, Alfred, right, right. Um, who was in a war. And so when he went into this, I think he really tried to think about making it into a series that would both honor, that wasn't making fun of yeah, war, yeah. right? But sense. would honor it, but also would a lot of, so they did these pilots and they kind of ran it by um, people and like VAs in the hospital. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know what kind of reception they were going to receive because that's a lot of trauma, right? Yeah. And we don't know how people deal with PTSD, right? A lot of the times. And so it's like, how is this going to be received? Well, many, many people really loved it, thought it was funny and kind of like the comic relief that they needed to kind oh, of good. get past like what they had experienced. Yeah. And I think that was really important to Bob Crane is that because his brother had been in the war, he really took note in trying to represent this show in a way that was honoring people that have yeah. been, you know, that are veterans that have experienced something as significant as a war. And one is so big as the one that this was depicting. So mm-hmm. I think that's really important. I love that. Yeah. Right. Um, so Hogan's Hogan's Heroes did receive two Emmys, one for supporting role and one for cinematography. So there was uh, the six seasons with Bob Crane as the role of Colonel Robert E. Hogan. And I love that his name was Robert. Like, Robert, you know what? It's a good damn name. <laughs> and so in 1965 of Hogan's Heroes, it was a television sitcom set in German the German prisoner of war camp, like I said before, during the World War II. It ran for 168 episodes on the oh, CBS wow. network. And Bob played the military style drum rhythm that introduced the show's theme song. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. The intro and the outro. And there were two episodes. I didn't, I didn't end up putting these in my notes, but there are two episodes where he plays the drums and we In the episode? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fun. Um, I just thought that was really wild and, you know, beat my heart. (laughs) I get it. Moving on. Okay. (laughs) Here's where things in Bob's life really took a turn, though. Oh. Hogan's Heroes really was the pavement that Bob was able to walk on to see some changes in the direction his life was going. So he took pride in having the ability to decide on his roles, what he wanted, why, and who he would work with. Yeah, I think that's every actor's dream. Absolutely. And I, I give them props. I mean, it's a cutthroat world out there in the acting world, I, as you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, some people really go after what they want, and that doesn't mean that they're going to get it, but they they try, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing about Bob, oh my gosh, I actually wrote that in my notes. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the thing about Bob is that if he weren't so charming and handsome, people may have viewed him as stubborn or dare I say even arrogant with a name that was not as marquee displayed as John Wayne or Jerry Lee Lewis or Lucille mm-hmm. Ball or our misfit Marilyn. Um, I believe Bob wanted the kind of fame that would take him to beyond the land of fame and fortune. 
a name that would roll off tongues in both a savory and sweet affection that all parties would taste like it was the best thing since sliced bread. Now, those were my own quotes. <laughs> um, okay. And I do, th- I honestly think like the more I talk about him, the more I like Bob Crane just rolls off my tongue. I mean, yeah, because he loved his name, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Only the dough rolled in less than Bob desired. Mm. And though he has his a definitive biography fan club by the three authors previously mentioned, he did not attain the type of fandom, fame, and fortune that he so eagerly desired, in part possibly because of the way he rolled over roles. Um, mm. There were some potential roles that Bob passed on, but once he finally decided to be a part of Hogan's Heroes, which he almost declined, by the way, okay. uh, things did start to pick up a bit. Like, are there any, like, huge roles or TV shows we know of that he passed on that he regretted? Not not necessarily, like, things I'd heard of. I mean, I hadn't even heard of Hogan's Heroes, really. Like, I barely had heard that name, and I didn't okay, really yeah. know exactly what it was. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think relatively to the day, there were some probably bigger names that people knew, right? That they would okay. be like, oh, like, why did he pass up on that? Because it's just interesting mm-hmm. that he quit his radio job and then he, you know, is turning down. I mean, I'm sure that like he had other small parts here and there that, you know, we we just don't know about that was giving him some income. Right. But it's weird that he would just like turn down stuff that and almost turn down Hogan's Heroes, a, a show he was going to be the star of. Like, I don't. Which he didn't know. I don't think he understood the links at which it was going to. Well, sure. Att- but I think the other thing is, is that he really had in his mind what kind of character it's almost like okay me with dating right like I know what I don't want mm-hmm. I know what I want what I'm hopeful for I know my deal breakers right and I think that's it's kind of like on along the lines of that okay and I can see that so he really did have this aspiration of kind of getting what he wanted out there but was willing to pass up some things although we'll get to it later I think there are a few things that he probably could regret Okay. And then there was there was a couple of things that he wanted that he didn't get. Okay. But things did start to pick up, as I said, a bit, especially in the female counterpart department. Oh. Though Bob was a family man and strived to show how he adored his hometown high school sweetheart, Anne. The thing is, they had this coveted white picket fence lifestyle, but things are not always what they seem. And this is the beginning of the end for Bob and Anne. Oh, no. Bob doted on Anne when interviewed, and he even was nearly devastated by a medical scare that Anne had. Yeah, he was terrified about this. Like he was, he he was like up at night because she was so sick, and he was terrified for her her life. Like, what did thought, she have? So she had hepatitis. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. Now, and she ended up in the hospital, but um, thankfully she survived. Okay. And then after that, like he he basically was professing like he loved her more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but with all of that, it was just not enough to keep the two together. Oh, the love simply sad. was actually no longer there. He started having an affair with his co-star, Cynthia Lynn. Oh. It was really difficult to find things on on Cindy Lynn, on Cynthia Lynn. Okay. After having an affair with co-star Cynthia Lynn, the actress who played Helga, Crane then became romantically involved with Lynn's replacement, Patricia Olson. In 1968. Uh, okay. So there's a um, there's a trend here. Yeah. And Patty Olson played under the stage name of Sigrid Valdis. So unfortunately, like I said before, Crane divorced Anne in 1970, okay. just before their 21st anniversary. Oh, 21 years. I know. It's 
And you just throw it away. And they had three kids and they had like, you know, that perfect little like home life. And I mean, who knows what was going on behind closed doors? Well, clearly, I mean, yeah. we we know now um, there was some affairs. Anyway, he ended up marrying Patty Olson, not Cynthia Lynn. But his his first what we know is the public first affair um, okay. was with Cynthia Lynn, who also was on that set. So, OK. Um, and this story is going to really unravel fast. And it's it's really fascinating what happens. And I think you'll just be like, huh, wow. OK. Um, because, yeah. So anyway, he did end up marrying Olson. Um, Richard Dawson was serving as his best man. We'll get into that a little bit in a little bit. So Cindy, okay. the original Hogan's Heroes character, Helga, she was wooed by Bob. She fell for him and he for her. Okay. He used to write her letters. So this is all in the first season. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's how, you know, she was cast as Helga, this this character, and they fell in love behind the scenes. Okay. So he used to write her these letters. They developed a deep love for one another. Only they were both married. Oh. They told no one on the show that they were having an affair. But of course, everyone knew. Right, right. And because of that, things didn't pan out for their relationship. Bob had not left his wife, Anne, yet. And Cindy was still married. Cindy felt a pang of guilt and decided to try to make her marriage work, which was a grave mistake as it was already in crumbles. Mm. She quit Hogan's Heroes. But too late, she realized she wanted to be a part of Bob's life. And unfortunately, he had already moved on. Oh, shit. So she quit because she couldn't be there with Bob. Uh, ooh. Cindy called back Hogan's Heroes to get back her role of Helga because she had quit oh, and okay. becoming season two. But Colonel Hogan needed a new secretary and the role of Hilda was already given to Sigrid Valdius, Patricia Patty Olson. So okay. as I told you just a minute, a minute ago, like that's who he ends up marrying. So the day before, that role went to Patty the day before. Before Cindy called. Yep. To get her um, her role back. Wolf. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> oh, God. Like, I had to take a breath for that. <laughs> so, obviously, now we know he would soon after have an affair, then, or she would have an affair with Bob. So, this is his second affair, and then later become his wife. Okay. Again, he's still married. Was she married also, Patty? She had been previous. Yeah, she was previously married. Um, I believe she had a daughter with him, but I don't know if she was married at, at the time of her being Hel- Helga. See, it's, okay. it's also hard because it was Hilda and Helga. So I'm like, why did they have to have their names so similar? So Cindy was interviewed later in life and said one of her biggest, likely the regret she will never get over was exiting Hogan's Heroes to work on an already failing ma- marriage and therefore ending things with Bob. Oh, wow. Also, in a very strange but sad correlation, Cindy died of complicate. This is late years later. Okay. Cindy died of complications of hepatitis, oh. which is the medical issue that Bob's first wife had that nearly devastated him before they divorced. So oh. I, I was like, wow, twisting and turning and so many similarities. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to show my ignorance here. Is hepatitis transmitted sexually? Yes. I mean, it can be transmitted through IV needles, um, tattoos, uh, or, you know, needles used with tattoos. I'm sure that now it's a little bit different in how they, but this is, you know, 60s, 70s through intercourse. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, do we think that Bob gave it to Anne and to Cindy? Gail does, but Gail doesn't know and would never want to spread that rumor. Okay. okay. But he's real dead, so... I know, but you know that he does have family still, and like oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. I don't. We'll be I don't respectful. Know. Yeah, don't, I really okay. don't know. I just okay. thought it was very interesting. That's why I said that was a, such a correlation, a yeah. strange one uh, that they both 
had hepatitis medical complications and one actually did die from like her organ failure to due to it. Did Patty end up getting hepatitis? I don't know, but Patty died in 2007, I think it was, and oh, she okay. died of, of lung cancer. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. But like I said, Bob and Ann Crane almost made it to their 21st uh, or 21 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. So the 21st year. Um, however, you know, they called off their marriage after Bob's infidelity, which was in part the demise of Ann and Bob's relationship. Mm-hmm. It got sticky with Bob and Ann through the divorce battle. Oh, like how? There was some tumultuous times in the okay. divorce battle, including the confused and heartaching children, um, not to mention a heartbroken mom who at mm-hmm. one point filed a restraining order on Bob. Oh, was he violent? I don't think so. It was very weird. And before we do the next episode, I'm going to um, try to go back. And I think that one was on the Audible. I'm going to go back and try to listen to that part because I actually can't recall if they ex- explained in detail about the restraining order. Okay. Um, so I'll get some more information on that and try to um, have that ready for our, our next episode on Bob. Okay. Bobby. I kept wanting to say Bobby. I don't know why. <laughs> anyway, everyone loved Anne including Bob's extended family back in Connecticut, which later made it then hard, harder for his second wife to be embraced. Mm, yeah. When Bob would be in New York, he would often make it a point to visit those he knew, including extended family and friends in Connecticut. He didn't change much in his like charm and likability. Mm-hmm. Like, they were so excited to see him, and he always made it a point to try and see the people he knew, right? Yeah. But there was not going to be an evident time where the Bob and Ann's hometown people were going to embrace Patty. Yeah, that would – I mean, I can see that being hard for people. Right, right. It's a big change. Exactly. Once Patty got the role of Helga, it led to that deep love with Bob Crane. They even married on the set of Hogan's Heroes. Now, oh. this one, I have to be honest – This story was so, like, this part of the story was so wild that, like, I was in and out of, like, I swear I was, like, in and out of consciousness listening to it because I'm like, (laughs) what the hell is going on? It was kind of like this weird where I think publicity-wise they didn't want it to seem, like, they kind of wanted to make it funny and, like, kind of farcy. I don't know if that's a word, but, like, where it didn't feel like such a blow that Bob was not displaying the character he really was because, obviously, then they knew that he had an affair, right? And so they I think they didn't want to have the ratings go down maybe but Mm. I don't know I was kind of in and out of the story because I was like what I will say this it sounds like it was not Patty's choice to marry on the hero stage I mean who would really want to have their wedding be in front of a cast that saw your man have an affair with the actress before you in the same character that's weird basically same character I mean it's it wasn't obviously Hilda and Helga but come on um that's so weird yeah Oddly enough, Richard Dawson served as the best man. And we'll hear a little bit more later why this seems a bit peculiar. Okay. Um, but he was he was a cast member in Hogan's Hero. Okay. Hogan's Heroes, sorry. Yeah. Like I said earlier, Patty and Bob have two kids. Oh, wait, they have two? They had two because they had Robert. They had Robert. Yeah, Robert, Scott, Scotty. Mm-hmm. And then they adopted um, Anna Marie. Oh, oh, the right. housekeeper or the house. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. And they were together eight years. And it was, I had said this earlier, it was thought that they had reconciled before his death, but that was in 1978. And so I'm I'm not really sure what the time frame was before that. Okay. It could have been two weeks. It could have been they talked on the phone, you know. Right. So anyway. But here's where um, things get interesting because we learn a little, even a little more about Bob Crane. There were guest appearances for his oldest son. So Bobby, Robert. Okay. The, 
the first son with uh-huh. Anne um, on the radio, including KNX. And then he even made a television debut on Art Linkletter's House Party, okay. where the kids um, spot this interview segment. And he revealed he wanted to be a sports announcer with his dad sitting in the audience with the camera out and he was snapping photos proudly, Aww. which I I was like That's cute picturing this. And I thought it was so cute. I was like seeing like a, a, a young Bob Crane, right? But I know that there's some shifty kind of shady character development with Bob with his infidelity and there are going to be some other things revealed in the next episode. But I heard he was into some dark mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Okay. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I really wanted to highlight, especially after listening to 20 hours of the definitive biography where they do have like a chapter on his scandalous behavior, but really they delve hard into how he was a good guy and like how some of the things that were brought against him, like were unfounded and yeah. Oh, so okay. they were also super fans. So yes, they were, they were. So it's, it's a bit biased, I would say. Sure. But the thing I did enjoy was Bob's tenacity. So I did slightly admire his desire that he seemed to be in a way looking – I kind of talked about this earlier, actually. He seemed to be in a way looking for something that was the perfect role or the perfect relationship for him as he went through, you know, a significant amount of women, right? I mean, how many women are we talking about? Well, so three very significant relationships – because he had his high school sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Then he had the affair that kind of led to the next marriage. Mm -hmm. And then there was a slew of other affairs um, that we'll get into in the second episode. Okay. But yeah, I I, I think for him, he didn't know what the perfect thing was. Because as we know, nothing is perfect, right? Uh, He continued though to be selective with roles, like you had asked about earlier, but refused more than he accepted. Even though he proved to work hard, he just didn't ever break out of that Hogan role mm. and later became typecast. And we kind of um, got it highlighted that earlier. But he was patient and hoping that he would receive a percentage in the Hogan Heroes residuals. However, he really didn't see a dime from it, even in syndication. So like oh, wow. there was some kind of like partner percentage or something. I don't really know how this works. You might know more than me. Like he put some sort of a percentage into it or something that he might have received later, but I think they were in so much debt when it ended that they were still trying to pay off all this. Oh, wow. What they owed. Is that why it ended? Because they ran out of money? I don't really, actually, that's a great question. I'm not really sure if that's why it ended. I think it ended maybe uh, for a slew of things. I I do think that the ratings went down a bit. I don't think it was as popular as it had been in the beginning. Okay. Later on, obviously, we know MASH came in, which was not the same, but a similar kind of like show, I guess. But yeah, I I, I think it just kind of ran its course. So yeah, I, I it's unfortunate because honestly, it seems like he, he was such a talented man. He had the looks. Yeah, it sounds like it. He had the drive, but I think he was looking for something that just didn't quite exist. Okay. Yeah, he just never quite got what he wanted. Bob's debt got even heftier when he and Patty purchased a half million dollar estate. Oh, that was back then. So that would be. I, I don't even know what now. Man, like, I'm looking this up. What year was it? Um, nine. Oh, gosh, I know I read it, but I didn't put it in my notes. So let's say like 74, but it, it might have even been earlier. It might have been 72, but it was in that air in that time frame. So half a million in 74 it or around then. Is about three million four thousand today. Oh, so like the start of starting home in, in Bay Area cost. I mean, so yeah, sick. that's pretty pricey. 
but yeah, it, it the the problem was is so they, they also had the other house, the, this Westwood house that he had. Okay. So they ended up staying in the Westwood house due to Bob paying alimony to Anne, child support, all uh, the rising taxes for two properties because they had two properties at this point. And the economy of interest was going up. It just kept going up in, mm-hmm. in the 70s. So the thing is, is Patty, I almost said Anne, but Patty wanted the Hollywood home or the Beverly Hills home because it was like on flatter land, I guess. But Bob really actually liked his Westwood home. It was like hilly and she was like, well, but we have kids. And he was like, I like the Westwood home. So they ended up keeping the Westwood home and they did sell the Beverly Hills home. He wasn't bringing in the income that I think he needed in order to keep that, that more expensive property. Mm -hmm. So times were a little tough then. Yeah. Not terribly tough for him because he was still working, but it just wasn't, I think it wasn't his ideal life. It wasn't what he imagined it to be. Mm -hmm. So though Bob worked hard in various ways through his life, I think for him, it's like, I couldn't ever break out of this role. Uh, and so now I'm not getting these other roles that I, that I desire and that I, that I want to Mm, get to be able to get out of that in order to get a bigger name. Right. Yeah. According to Bob, he got passed up over the role of the Godfather, even though the director was co-create the co-creator of Hogan's Heroes. Oh. Mm-hmm. So wait, he did he audition for it, or was he just never considered? I. That's the thing. I think he was considered, and okay. but he got passed up on it. Got it. And I think he thought he had an in because the co-creator of Hogan's Heroes was the director, and so yeah. I think he was thinking like, "Damn, like, yeah. what the hell? Like, I should be in it." And like in the in the book, it was talking about how he saw him. He like went to the set and they were filming and he wanted to talk to the director and basically be like, why didn't I get this role? Like, come on, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know me. And he was kind of like uh, disgruntled, I guess I would I would say. Sure. And the director's like, whoa, 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 whoa. you know, I want to talk to you. OK, can you just come to the side and like move to the side and I'm going to talk to you after, you know, the scene or whatever. Well, he moved to the side, but then uh, the director never saw him again. It was the last time he saw him, actually. So he, uh, you know, I almost said Hogan. Um, Bob left and didn't end up staying to talk to him. Oh, okay. I was like, did someone drop dead in the middle of that? Like, I was so confused. Okay. No, 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 no. Sorry. No, no, no. So he showed up on set and was just Mm -hmm. like, dude, what's up? And the guy was like, I'll tell you later. And Bob Crane was like, no, you won't because I'm out. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So um, in the theater production of Beginner's Luck, the play that Bob was acting in when he was murdered in Arizona, Mm -hmm. Bob almost signed on with the same agent that only two other clients had signed on with, one of which was John Wayne. Oh. Which I thought was interesting. To be honest, I thought John Wayne was like already dead by this point. I thought he was much older than I guess he was. So my bad. I guess he was still around at this point. (laughs) But Bob wasn't into that agent making commission. Ah. So since that was a deal breaker for Bob, he did not use the agent. But later it seemed having that agent agent could have helped Bob secure roles. Well, yeah. That would have been lucrative for him. Sounds like he had he was a little full of himself, sounds yeah, like. Yeah, I and I mentioned that earlier. Like he's a little arrogant, it seems like. So, yeah. you know, you've got that going you've got that too. So like I I'm trying to like highlight the the good and the not so good, you know. But Bob did even uh he eventually took on a role of a dad in a movie called I just thought this was kind of a funny but almost not depressing. I mean, just almost like now you're seeing kind of the roller coaster vibe, right? We're going down the final hill of a roller coaster. 
I feel like on this ride. And it you're was starting weird seeing your hand. Oh, like, oh creep in front of the it was oh, so creepy. I'm sorry, because I can't see you because I'm I've got the notes page open. <laughs> this is hilarious. Um, so I feel like, you know, we're like, we just did a cool loop. Yeah. And then and then we're kind of going up on this last like big drop. Okay. Okay. So he took this role of this dad in this movie called Super Dad. Okay. Upon an interview, and then I, I also heard this. This was in the Audible of the biography book. So mm-hmm. I just – I thought this was so great because we don't hear a lot – we'll hear a lot from his son, but we don't hear a ton from his daughters. So okay. this was a, an interview in which his daughter Karen said, the movie was cute, but it wasn't really a movie that was going to get her dad anywhere considering his role as Charlie McCready was such a doofus. And that was definitely not a role that was meant for her dad. Mm. He was not depicted well in that role since he was not a fumbling actor like the character portrayed. The only thing about the role is that Bob could relate to it because he had five kids. Three of his children were teenage daughters. And then, you know, the movie, the daughter in it was also a teenager. Okay. Um, So that was something that he had experience with. However, it was said, it was not something that was going to branch him out into an actor or character lead or even advance him to more developed roles. And then he said in an interview, he had tried water skiing and surfing back in the day. And for this movie, he tried surfing again and failed at it once more. So much that it nearly killed him trying to do it. For Bob and his attempt at roles in film and television, it truly was, and I quote what he quotes, a matter of being in the right place at the rice rice time. Great. (laughs) Um, A matter of being in the right place at the right time and having a little talent to go with it. The thing about Bob was that he truly was a guy who wanted to help others get their break, even if he himself wasn't. As Bob's older son, Bobby, revealed, Bob did things for others that they didn't even find out until later. Bob even helped his brother Alfred work on his music career. Scott Crane, so the third Bob, the third Robert. Yeah, um, yeah, with Patty. Yes. Yeah. Agreed with his half-brother that he was always out to help others in their lives. One of the more significant frenemies that Bob helped was Richard Dawson. So Mm. he was the best man in the wedding, Mm -hmm. and he was also on – so he was a Hogan's Heroes cast member. Crane turned down a slew of offers to host game shows after the end of Hogan's Heroes run. But one game show could have turned around for him the pathway of his seeking big celebrity status and income. However, he did not accept this offer and instead suggested Richard Dawson take the hosting gig for none other than the popular and still running today game show of Family Feud. Did I do that right? Oh, okay. I started to say Family Feud. Oh, I should have. I should have let you. Which made Dawson a multi-millionaire. Yep having more money than Bob ever made, even though Dawson didn't even really like Bob. He took up that gig and, as it looks, left Bob behind. Because Crane did not want to take on the game show, he found himself once again on the edge of fame, but not on the road. He was sadly more of a shoulder to so many others' highway to success. Ooh. You like that? I I really was, like, trying to think of analogies. I like it. So, for some reason, I – I was thinking like, oh, he was, you know, he was on this fame, but not on the road. And then I was thinking about shoulders of roads. Anyway. All right. No, I got it. It made sense. Thank you. So what was that? that I don't know what that was. It was like a pop. Okay. Hope everything's okay. Um, (laughs) This is an excerpt now from the definitive biography. He helped a lot of people with their careers, even people who didn't like him, which is a strange thing to be such an open book to let anyone into your life without any judgment and continue to help people who don't like you for no reason at all other than to be nice. I think that is probably what killed him, being too nice and too open and having no judgment on other people, which is a horrible thing. 
It's a horrible comment on our society that we have to be more careful. This and is continue- his son saying this? Yes. Okay. Yes. And continued in this excerpt from the definitive biography. But for all his effort, the Hollywood community never really took Bob seriously as an actor, especially following the canceling of Hogan's Heroes. As Monty Markham observed, they would always view him as the radio personality who ventured into acting and made it big on one television series. Ooh. Yeah. And syndication after Hogan's Heroes had wrapped, it was said that the ghost of Hogan still haunted his presence on screen. Again, as the definitive biography trailed on, because there was so much content in it, and it informed its audience of Bob's testing of other roles. He even tried the role of playing a villain in Ellery Queen's um, one episode of Adventures of the Hard-Hearted Huckster. Okay. Apparently I do better with H's than R's. Though the director claimed he was a true professional to work, displaying no ego, and did his job well. In playing the villain, Bob was less than convincing. It was as if Colonel Mm. Hogan, not Bob Crane, was doing the work. And that that was a quote directly from that biography, from that interview. He was found murdered in his Scottsdale apartment on June 29th, 1978. His skull bashed in with a blunt object. Oh. And an electrical cord around his neck. Oh, my God. His death and the sordid revelations that followed stunned Hollywood, his fans, and his family. I knew it was going to take a turn. I I knew kind of how he was found, but, like, not – I don't know details. And I didn't ugh. know about, like, the – like – his head being bastion. So there's, ooh. you'll find out from this chick that was going to rehearse lines with him. Um, I think her name was Virginia or something. Cause she basically like finds him and in the definitive biography on the podcast, the flip side, okay. they actually interview her. Oh, and like even, even I forget if it's, it's one of the three authors is interviewing her. I think it's the main author. She was like, you know, we don't need to have the details and like, she basically was like, yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've recounted them so many times, you know, police and whatnot. The author was like, that's not what we're looking for here. And she's like, but I will tell you, this is how I was feeling. And like, I mean, it, it, oof, rough. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I look forward to the next one to part. Duh. <laughs> Man, I am so thirsty. I did not bring, I had like half a cup of water and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to do more next time. Yeah, that was good. I want to uh Thanks. I want to hear I want I want to know the conclusion. I mean, no. I'm not going to say anything. Never mind. Okay, yeah, don't tell me anything. Yeah. All right. So, I uh, hope you tune in for part 2 of Bob Crane. In the meantime, you can email us at horrorwoodpodcast at gmail.com or catch us on the social medias at horrorwood <laughs> Okay, I'm going to do that part at Horrorwood Podcast or Twitter at Horrorwood Pod. And we would love you forever and a half if you um, rated us and reviewed us on wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much to everyone who has rated and reviewed us. It means the world to us. We love you. Um, and keep sending us your own listener yeah, story. I just put out to a friend um, in Philly to submit her story and she was like cool nice um also my british friend has been trying to get me because she's listening to this podcast and she's been trying to get me to practice saying h-o-r-r-o-r with an accent she's like just say it and i can say it much better doing it her way horrorwood like with an a kind of instead of that additional r okay yeah that that actually is probably the best that you've ever said it (laughs) i know (laughs) brilliant um all right that's all i have same thanks kate
nothing. You're welcome. I did absolutely nothing in preparation of this episode. <laughs> Thanks, Kale. <laughs> Until next time.